Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the seventh chapter. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You've judged rightly. Then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Growing up, one of the movies I remember watching on TV with my brother and dad were the Pink Panther movies with Peter Sellers, the British comedian. Those of you who have seen them, it's kind of a select kind of a comedy which maybe doesn't translate as much today as it was funny back in the 70s when they were made, but there were funny parts. And one of them that I remember that had my brother Tim and I in stitches when we first saw it back then was, well, Peter goes into this hotel lobby and he checks into the room, the guy's a German, and there's a little bit that's lost in translation as they're trying to communicate. And eventually they get the room straightened out, and he's about to leave, and he looks down, and there's a little lap dog lying down on the floor. And he turns back to the teller, the, the host at the hotel, and he says to him, does your dog bite? And the guy says, no. And so he reaches down to pet the dog, and the dog jumps up and bites his hand, and he shakes it off. And he looks back at the guy, and he said, I thought you said your dog did not bite. And he said, that is not my dog. <laughs> no. It's like 30 years I've been waiting to use that as a sermon illustration. But there's a point to it, OK? And the point is this. I'm going to take away from that little story is that if you don't know all of the facts about something, there's a possibility you're going to get bit. And when it comes to Jesus Christ, life and salvation, we should certainly strive to know all the facts. The central facet of Christianity, of our faith, is that Jesus comes to and for sinners. We have it all over in the sanctuary. Whenever you see a cross, I hope you think of that. We confess it creedily when we say, who for us men and for our salvation, and I believe in the forgiveness of sins. We sing it in our hymns every week. 
And one of the favorite ones here is certainly this one. Jesus sinners doth receive. But the fact that he came to and for sinners was a point of frustration for Jesus' opponents, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and sometimes even his disciples themselves, scratching their head, trying to push away the people that were interacting with him. You see, of course, God's law about what is and isn't and what constitutes a sin and what doesn't, that's plain as day. It's very clear what you ought to do or not do according to the word of God. There's no doubt. And yet the people who break that law, who sin, that's who he came for. That's who he came to. He tells later, we know of, Somebody who's healthy doesn't need a doctor, but somebody who's sick. Well, somebody who's righteous doesn't need a savior, but someone who is a sinner. Not the just, but sinners he came for. He came to them. Spoke to them. He forgave them. Words of grace and pardon for people who, many people around Jesus thought, were just too far gone for him to have any good. Those are the ones he spent time with. Now, I hope that's not controversial to you, and I don't think that it is. You say, of course he came for sinners, right? Kind of like nobody here is ever surprised when we have a gospel lesson where it makes a big deal about the Gentiles get to be in too, because we're all Gentiles here. Yeah, of course, 2,000 years of church history makes that abundantly clear to us. For we who begin our church services with a variation of I'm a poor, miserable sinner or Today, I'm by nature sinful and unclean. It's no surprise that sinners is the target demographic of Jesus and his ministry. So no, it's not surprising he comes for sinners. It's not controversial. It's not problematic. What is controversial, perhaps surprising and problematic too, and what bothers many people in our time our age and our place is this, is that to receive Jesus' grace and forgiveness, you actually have to go to Jesus. That is, to get what Jesus is offering, we must leave our sin and go to him. Each different age in church history has its defining problems, its defining errors. If you read history, usually for decades or centuries, everybody's fighting about this one thing, it gets resolved, and then they move on to the next thing. In the early church, they had to straighten out, well, who exactly is Jesus? What does it mean to be the Son of God? And We have our creeds as a result of those arguments that they straightened out. Of course, later on, you had the problem of, well, what happens when Christians turn over other Christians to the authorities so they can get out of persecution themselves. And then they say later, I'm sorry, I went back in. That was a big deal for the church to work that out. Well, what do we do with that? And actually, modern-day penance and contrition was born out of that whole argument. The Reformation, of course, the fight at the time was justification. But if I had to nail down and label the thing that we're kind of struggling with in our day and age, our time and place, I would say it's this universalism. If it's not outright apathy, which is another problem we certainly deal with, I think the air that we contend with, the unspoken belief of so many people, certainly non-Christians, and yes, 
even many Christians, is that everybody goes to heaven. Everybody finally gets in. Or maybe at least most people. Or, well, at least my family and friends. Or the groups that I'm sympathetic to. Or the sins that I'm okay with get a pass. But before we treat this, we've got to look at the gospel again. It's a beautiful story there in Luke 7 about a woman who's forgiven by Jesus. She experiences the abundant grace of God in Jesus Christ, is how we would put it. We're told that she's a woman of a city, of the city, a sinner. And that is a euphemism, lest there be any confusion, for she was a prostitute. And yet, she comes to the house where she hears that the Lord is. She's got her ointment, and she anoints the Lord's feet with her tears, wiping them with her hair, kissing them, and putting the ointment on them. Now, that's a profoundly humbling and honoring act, regardless of what age you live in. And when the host, Simon is his name, objects for reasons of obvious propriety, Jesus gives him a lesson all of us about grace and forgiveness. And he wraps up by saying these wonderful words, her sins which are many are forgiven. And that is the point again once demonstrated. Jesus came for sinners. But the thing that is often overlooked in our day, when we look at this passage and others like it, really it's not just overlooked, we just step over it really, is that before all of this beautiful scene unfolds, she first came to Jesus. You see, in our time, I think we are particularly tempted to believe that God's grace just comes to everybody without repentance, without turning away from sin. That is, simply God loves and accepts folks wherever they are, regardless of whether or not they leave the thing, which he says, that's wicked, don't do that. We treat verses about God's love as though they are the only thing in the Bible. I'm a preacher, and I'm tempted to do that often. Treat them as though there's nothing that comes on the person's part after they hear of, know, and experience God's love. Picked an easy one today, one we should all know. You could all say it with me if you wanted to. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now raise your hand if you don't like that verse. <laughs> okay. No, it's a great verse. And it even goes on. It gets a little more positive after that. Verse 17, For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Beautiful. There's a verse 18 too. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. There is acceptance, forgiveness, and life in Jesus Christ for those who believe, but not for those who do not. There's another one. We'll do it quickly. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And I've told Bible classes here before I think he even said it in a sermon once. At Gerald Ford's funeral, the preacher read that passage and they stopped right there. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Here endeth the lesson. And I remember watching that thinking, 
it goes on and it says something that these people need to hear. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's the whole verse, the whole story. Now, the first parts of these verses are great sentiments. They are great truths even. Yes, of course. But they are only half-truths if you don't present the whole thing, if you don't believe and live in the whole thing. And that brings us back to the woman in the gospel today. In order for her to get to that wonderful moment where Jesus forgives her her sins, she's got to first come to him. And not just come to him in the sense that she went to the physical place where he was in Simon's house, but come to him in the sense that she leave her former way of life and come to him as a savior and contrition and repentance. Otherwise, she's not coming to him at all, at least in any way that is deeper than superficial outward appearances. You see, to receive Jesus and his mercy, one must let go and leave the things that lead us away from him, lead us to death, namely sin. And make no mistake, that's what this woman did. It's why she loves him, why he forgives her, and why at the end, in the last sentence, he commends her faith. She did not stay in the city in her profession and when she heard about Jesus, said, he gets us, all of us. No. She left her old path, which was leading her to hell, and she began to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. She, like the parallel recipient of God's grace in John chapter 8, another prostitute, and in all likelihood, another friend of hers, she went and she lived in her sins no more. And for her, the payoff was completely worth it. She might have lost a few friends in the transition, and well, that sort of thing happens. But what is the loss of fair-weather friends with bad theology who just want their ears scratched? What's that loss when you gain Jesus and the whole world with him? It's no loss. That woman had a friend in Jesus, and so do you. When you confess and repent of your sins and believe in him, you have forgiveness, life, and salvation he offers. Offered to Pharisees, offered to prostitutes, and offered to everybody in between. So my appeal to you as 21st century good American Christians is don't fall for the false gospel that is so prevalent in our time. Don't fall for a fa false gospel and preachers who preach it, they give you leeway to continue to live in sins, pet sins, sins you don't think are a big deal. Don't fall for the false gospel, which gives you leeway to never have to have that hard conversation with your family and your friends about sin and real grace. Don't fall for the false gospel, which is so readily found on theologically weak commercials, no matter how big their budget, that gospel's not going to help anybody. And it's not going to save anybody. Instead, Christians, come to Jesus who gives you the true gospel, a 
of his blood poured out as an atonement to cover your sins and bid all of the family and the friends that you want to see in heaven, bid them to come to that Jesus and that true gospel too. He is here. He is ready. He is waiting. Gladly to receive sinners and gladly to forgive them. Amen.